0: to bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good day, beautiful people. What a privilege and honor to be with you again. We have an incredible episode, and I'm smiling ear to ear because I finally got a day of epic pow in Nelson, British Columbia. I can barely feel my body. I'm so tired, um, but I'm so happy to bring this episode to you. We have Nomali Ben on the podcast today, and the title is Ancient Alien, Nomali Stones, The Dogon Tribe, and Easter Island. So this is a really interesting episode. Um, um, we talk about how Ben came across these stones, um, his friend who was a West African explorer who kind of was like a little bit of Indiana Jones. Um, we talked about uh, one of the connections being evolved in the CIA, some of the professors that have looked at these stones. Uh, we talk about why the heck we would call them even ancient alien stones and where that would come from. We talk about the Dogon tribe. We talk about Easter Island. Um Apparently some of the research shows that these stones are 17,000 years old. Uh, We talk about the anomaly uh, are the gods that lived in the heavens and some of the connections between Atlantis and ancient Egypt, the work of Michael Tellinger, the Native American influence. Uh, It's incredible. This show is a mind blower. So uh, enjoy. And if you like it, please share. Um, That really helps. Leave a review in iTunes. That super helps too. Um, Patreon, if you want to hook it up, that helps immensely as well. I want to thank so much to uh, Debbie Strickler who hooked it up on Patreon. That means a lot and it really does uh, help me do the episodes and help me uh, do the podcast. So thank you so much. But the best thing you can do if you want to support the show is do three kind acts today or at least one kind act. And even if you can't do that, then don't be a giant uh, a-hole. Be kind. Um, but if you want to support the show, three kind acts is the best way. Go out of your way to do it. Take the kindness challenge, um, and that would be awesome. So thank you, everybody who supported the show. Um, I want to thank my sponsor, my partner, the Himalaya Podcast App. Uh, they're free. They're easy to use. There's tons of features. Um, it's built for the community of podcasters. So you can make playlists. Um, you can communicate with your podcasters. You can communicate with me. Um, so when you go over there, make sure you to give the Mastermind Body Spirit Show a follow. It you can check them out at Himalaya, which is H I M A L A Y A. There's also like other cool features like um, the thumbs up, which will help you uh, create more podcasts like that. There's a tip jar to help your pod your your favorite podcaster. So there's all kinds of cool stuff over there. So <coughs> um, check them out; they're incredible. Um, Go to mappale.com, sign up for the email list. If you want some coaching, I have two spots for the next three months. So if you're serious about diving deep, you want to overcome your blocks and you wanna design a life that you're that's meaningful, that is uh Im- just basically on your own terms so we we help you define that create that a dream passion purpose even if you have no idea uh what it would be i can help you from zero to ten to getting to where you want to go and that's just these processes that i've used and i've learned over time um to help get very very clear and then how to execute and use all those good things like the law of attraction um Goal setting, you know, personal development, all that stuff. Like you, you, you do need the metaphysical side and the belief systems and all that kind of stuff. But you also need this clear structure, goal setting, accountability, and things like that. So, if you are serious about leveling up, uh, being more fulfilled, and breaking through, then hit me up at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. And I think that's it. Um, let's just get into this and take a deep breath before we get in. So, wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing, taking a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath, and just let it out slowly with all the cares and all the worries. Just come to a state of total peace and total presence and ready to get into today's amazing episode. So thank you so much for joining us and let's get into this incredible episode with Nomaly Ben. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is an expert on the Nomalee stones and the sacred carved figurines since acquiring a collection he has investigated the history of these stones to compile information including the connection to the dogon nomali ben is collaborating with his college professor kwaku ofari ansa on the first ever book and documentary specifically on nomali stones and where they fit welcome to the show Ben.
1: Thank you, Matt, for having me and us and uh, your your circle, your viewers are in for quite a treat. I'm confident that few, if any of them, have ever heard of No the deities, where they fit in the uh, various theories from ancient alien theories to how they're used tribally or how they're perceived tribally. Uh, and I'm confident that um, they have not seen a collection such as we're going to show you today. So you're really opening up a door and an opportunity for them that is uh, great. And, and I want you to uh, want to thank you on behalf of the, our operation, too, which is to get our mission is to get the word out on these stones.
0: Yeah, well. And to is find it- out more yeah well, it was interesting because when you reached out, I had never heard of these things, and I started to do a little bit of research uh, i'm a, I'm familiar with the Dogon um, when I did a, a podcast on ancient Egypt, there were some people that were upset because of the history that the Egyptian was saying, and they were from Africa they were saying that you know actually our civilization starts in Africa, and there's some very fascinating stuff with just Africa the history um stones and um all kinds of stuff coming out of there. So I don't know that much about it. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on like yourself, how you got into the, into this and and what, what this is all about.
1: Okay. Well, you, uh, you said I'm an expert. I don't know if I could qualify myself as an expert, except that I'm a bit of an authority only in that. So few people know so little that, uh, that I do know more than others that I've found. The, uh, the way I got into it, I guess I should just start by saying I'm not as well-versed or uh, as traveled as you are in these circles. I've been in business most of my life, although I've always had an interest in the spiritual. And I had, uh, for the last 16 years, I've been operating as an investigative reporter under the moniker of Daddy Justice. And I primarily focus on assisting those who are falsely accused and we take on missions against individuals in government whether they're judges lawyers police officers police departments and bring the light of day upon corruption and attempt to, whenever we can to help out innocent people who are uh, on the bad side because of uh, having the government jumping on their uh, up against them and, and falsely accusing them these stones come my way a long time ago a couple occasions i was uh, there was attempts to recruit me into the intelligence community specifically to operate in the theater of west africa in a relatively unfriendly territory and uh, um but but i never really got involved never went to africa i did some local some here things here domestically but again continued with my businesses but i ran into a a very interesting character became friends with him for years and uh, uh, shout out to the spirit of Bill Diamond. Bill Diamonds was an American who was well-versed and was able to travel the West African jungle, as very few were uh, over many years' period of time. And he was, as his name indicates, into the diamond business. And Bill was the source, and the contacts he had was this, were the source of the items I got. I was not interested in the diamonds, but I did uh, have interest in the spiritual items which would come out of the bush. And that's how I began to collect the Nomali. And that's how my interest got in, into this. I collected them for many years thinking that other people had collections and that they would be pretty, relatively prevalent and not knowing very much about them, not understanding what the Nomali gods were. Uh, you know, initially they sent over some wooden items and some stones and the stones which are so powerful. Yes.
0: Hey Ben, I don't mean to stop you, but there's some, sometimes there's like a, like a clicking. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you can help it, but there's some sort of like consistent static and clicking. And I know that if we keep diving deep, it's going to drive people nuts. Okay. Um, I think it's, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's a chair. I don't know. Hopefully it'll be okay. But yeah, sometimes you're fine. And sometimes there's just like this staticky clicking. So I want to make sure it's nice and clear. This is interesting stuff. It's like okay, your friend. Is, yeah. So like my friend,
1: f- Bill Diamonds was a guy. He was the type of character the way back in the day when he found out the best diamonds in the world, were in West Africa, he went and just got himself. He went, went into Freetown up into Guinea, dropped himself in the top of the bush and would come out six months to two years later with Diamonds and a lot of friends. He was just a really interesting, charismatic character in a place where very few people could get in and out alive at a time, which was very troublesome and turbulent. But he had a very interesting spirit. And he worked for the intelligence community also of the United States, which keeps track of the diamonds, uh, movement of diamonds, because they are used uh, for purposes of dubious individuals using for purposes of raising funds for terrorist activities, etc particularly the Lebanese are active in purchasing in the bush. The long and the short of it, I had no interest in being involved in a lot of those things. I fully support our government, but I'm not, I, I don't feel that I'm the right guy to be involved in clandestine operations. I don't necessarily believe that we do the right thing everywhere we go in the world. But that all, all aside, I honor these people who are willing to go out and do those things and, and look out for the interest of our country. The long and short of it is I ended up being attracted to the stones and over the years acquiring quite a collection and a few years ago about five years ago I decided I would go out and look into the what they were Uh, and one of my family members decided they wanted to sell one of the stones they needed some money and so I decided to look into it and I found that they were very rare and uh, that's when I found my now friend, Professor Pakura Foyanza and Doris Ligon, uh, Professor Pakura Foyanza, not my professor, I never made it to college, uh, but he it was the professor for 37 years of African art at Howard University. A genius, a world expert in African art, born in Ghana. And uh, you know, again, went from being born in Ghana to be a professor of African art at a prestigious university. And they, when they saw the collection, were very excited and and impressed and asked me if we could exhibit them at the museum, which we did. Along the way, what I did is I kept attempting to find people who could tell me more about them. And what was amazing was even amongst aficionados of African art, there were very few who knew of them at all and of of the background or any of the connections. Over the period of time that they were at the museum, I spoke at the museum. We had some events, very exciting. The uh, viewer or the, uh, the uh, people who attended the museum were impressed with stones. Some people commented on the power that they had. Um, and then thereafter, we went into, so I guess what I'd like to talk about is just briefly how they're unknown, but still they're known. Uh, why they're still unknown and what we're finding out about them. So they're unknown in that if, when we, when my son, about a year ago went out, uh, when when the professor decided to write a book, and and I'm working with him on that, we did an outreach to the internet and reached out to the groups that would be associated with healing stones, with uh, ancient alien civilizations, with art, and uh, shamans, the like, spiritual spiritual, uh, teachers and guides and we began to ask who has experience with these stones who can tell us that they're using them contemporaneously because we have a few people that we have placed them with who have used them and had profound impact in their lives and we found that we not one person got back to us had not any knowledge of these we put them presumably in front of hundreds of thousands of people over and over again and kept asking has anyone used these does anyone have any knowledge they can contribute because there is a scarcity of knowledge, which is why the professor decided there needs to be a book written. So they're unknown. If you were to go out into the gem show, as I did, and set up in a booth, or a friend of mine's booth, and set them out front and sit there for days, the people who are very knowledgeable in gems and crystals would come by and don't feel alone. They would not know what nomali were. In fact, we then went to the MUFON show. We said, all right, let's go to the experts. These people have been into these things for many years. And we went to MUFON International and set up a booth and MUFON Philadelphia over the summer. And in both instances, not one person had ever seen or heard of Nomali stones. The only person who had ever heard of the Nomali deities was Bill Burns. If you know, of course, Bill Burns was from the television show UFO Hunters and he had heard the deities but had never seen the stones. So they're completely unknown in, in the modern realm, except that they are known. They were first discovered by the outside world in the 1400s by Portuguese sailors when they hit West Africa. They were first written about in 1854, uh, Thompson, on uh, in Africa, in, in New, published in New York, a brief mention. They were then mentioned in publications at the turn of the century, Including 1917, when uh, Walter Edwin wrote a book of interest, or what four pages in a book of interest? Again, in scarcity. Then, also noted, notable is uh, Thor uh, Heyerdahl. Of course, you know Thor Heyerdahl. I'm sure your audience very familiar with um, his travels. Okay, th- uh, in 1947. Uh, or prior to that, Thorhardal was a gentleman who pr- pr- stated that his belief was that the Peruvians were the first ones to find and discover Polynesia and settle it. It was well known and accepted that the Asians had sailed across and had settled Polynesia, that the Peruvians were too primitive to have possibly done that, and and so he set about to prove it. He was laughed out of the National Geographic magazine. He was made fun of. But he convinced, he, someone said to him, hey, you want to prove it? Build yourself a cypress log raft and float across. So he got a team of guys together, adventurous crew for sure. And they built a, a raft of cypress logs exactly to the specifications as would have been done 1,500 years ago by the then Peruvians including all that they tied it together no modern materials nothing and they set about a drift off of Peru with a small sail and 101 days later they landed in Polynesia the point of his overall mission or his overall message was that he wanted people to understand that the ancients did not see the waterways as a hindrance but rather as a highway as a thoroughfare and uh, so very very well known in that regard, many people. The movie was called *Kantiki*, was the boat which he sailed across, which was named after the the god. Well, Thor Heyerdahl also was the first one to do an expedition of Easter Island, and in 1957, following his expedition on Easter Island, he mentioned Nunamiere stones and stated that of all the African stones, well, I should refer this to. He was referring to the very unknown small figurines, which were discovered in the caves of Easter Island, which you may or may not be aware of. I don't know if there are any more available. They probably just been uh, been absorbed into somebody's uh, collection or museums, but he had found there were very small figurines in secret caves in Easter Island. And he noted that the Nomali were the closest of all the African stones to those small figurines on Easter Island and Specifically, the fact that they had holes in their heads. So it's written again about in 1957 by Thor Heyerdahl. Then in uh, uh, 1990, there was a television show, Unexplained Mysteries, if I recall correctly, was the name of the show. And they mentioned the ones found by Antonio Pirelli. I took his name, but anyway, uh, uh, the gentleman who had gone over and he found the stone that was dated to 17,000 years old that had a ball bearing. When he they felt it was vibrating, they did an X-ray. They found a ball bearing in it. And it was Angelo Pitoni was who it was. I want to make sure I got that right. And they took the ball bearing out and discovered that it was made of materials which certainly had made and manufactured in a manner which could not have been done according to the modern beliefs uh, 17,000 years ago. He also was the one who found what's called the Blue Sky Stone, with a, which was found only in Sierra Leone. It was... Um, made of, uh, looks like plaster, it's a blue stone with white streaks and uh, identified with Nomali. It was considered by the natives to be part of the sky that fell with Nomali. In fact, he was talking to the natives and they said that the Nomali, which I should identify with the Nomali are, Nomali are the gods which lived in the heavens according to the traditional native beliefs. And they misbehaved, mischievous, and so they were, them and their part of the heaven was turned to stone and rained down upon the earth, and then they were forced to live on earth with the humans. These stones are said to be replicas of and images of the Nomoli gods and sometimes hybrids, their gifts from the Nomali gods to the humans to help to bless them in many ways. So, where was that? Thor Hargur. Okay, so then he talked about the blue sky stones being part of the sky that fell with the Nomali when they fell. The blue sky stones, which were only found in Sierra Leone, and uh, they were found to be artificially somehow uh, colored, although they are again dated to be 15,000 B.C., then again, in um, 2008, there is a slight mention of them in um, Canada or France. I have to look at that publication. But anyway, a slight mention of them. But other than that, very little mention of them. So they're unknown, but they're known. They've been recognized. And not like a new stone like the Ica stones they found and nobody had ever heard of before, and they're not sure if they really existed before. If <laughs> these were real, they know they're real. So what's still unknown about them, really what's unknown about them, is who, in fact... The natives, of course, believe the gods, the nomali gods, gave them to them. But if not, who made them? How long ago? How long ago were they made? Why were they buried in the bush? Now, I guess I should mention why they're suppressed. I mean, it's not going to be a big surprise, but there are some additional factors here. I think that's worth mentioning. They're suppressed primarily for religious reasons. There's a heavy Muslimization of West Africa, and there are some Christian fundamentalists. And of course, I'm not judging all Christians and Muslims, but there are some factions that are more radical usually who are not tolerant of other people's beliefs and are not at all uh, receptive to stones and images which would be used by the tribes. So they would obviously trash them and destroy them, and it would not be seen well to be using them. This also plays over into politics because if you want to succeed politically or in business in West Africa, your best bet is to be Muslim. And just like in my county here in Lancaster, you should be a Republican Christian if you want to succeed. And if you're not, just pretend, you know. So regardless, the point is that there is this, uh, first they were buried as professor would point out, that's why they're suppressed, they were buried. No one knows where they came from. There's no written history of them but then again, they're suppressed religiously. If you go politically the same, and if you look at medically, the medical society does not want these natives using these tribal rituals scientifically. But the biggest one really is the cultural. Culturally, even many people who want to be in touch with the traditional African roots are not interested in the tribal beliefs because there's a perception that it is uncivilized and primitive. Which one of the things these stones and other things bring about the question of is, as you mentioned before, what is the likelihood that there was a higher civilization in West Africa long ago? Uh, You know, it looks more and more like there's a a possibility worth investigating into that. So there are all these reasons they've been suppressed. What have we recently uncovered? Well, you know, again, what's still unknown? who buried them, why they buried them, because they're randomly found in the, in the bush, not with, not with grave sites often, not with temples, just randomly planted in the bush. Um, and then what are we finding out? Well, as you mentioned briefly, we have recently made a connection to the Dogon. And along with connection to the Dogon is a potential connection of, to the ancient Egyptians. There are some who also believe that the Atlantean continent, of course, uh, Edgar Casey said it was off Bimini, but many people believe it was off West Africa. So there is some consideration whether that could be the implications. The overall truth is nobody knows, but they're powerful stones. And it's our opinion from our experience that they want to be reactivated and thus we're very interested in putting them into people's hands as we proceed and, uh, and seeing what happens. More of what we've seen already, I'm sure. So that's the basis of what nomali are, the stones. I could show you one just to get a general idea since we've talked a lot about looking at one. Let me do a basic, uh, if you hold that up in front of the camera there. This would be a relatively standard female nomali stone and you would see the protruding eyes, generally no, uh, and oversized nose and lips. They said that when they wandered on the earth, that their eyes were so strong and so brilliant that you could not look at them. It was like looking into the sun. And that their voice was so powerful that when they spoke in one village, You could hear them in the next village. They were connected to crocodiles because the crocodiles and and crocodiles are revered because they live on earth and in the water. So there is some connection to the water and the earth. This would be a female. uh, Fertility and abundance and health and protection so they would be given to the individuals and some would be used by the tribe itself some of the larger ones um, so that's a standard nomoli stone right there
0: looks it looks interesting well one of the questions i guess would be like how how do you how do you get it verified to be 17,000 years old um you know on there's a lot of stuff that you said there that i can relate to in studying with uh, a few Native American elders. Uh, Clifford Mahudi, who is a Zuni, uh, his history is 20,000 years old. Uh, he speaks about the school system and the religions coming in systematically trying to wipe out their history, where they say it's 20,000 years old. Uh, same with the Mayan elder that I spent time with, Carlos Barrios. Um, and the Migamai elder, all 20,000 year histories. And it does mess with the religious history because it's considerably older. And so if there were civilizations and uh, life and all that kind of stuff, a different history would mess up uh, the history that we're being told. So I can see that. I'm just curious how, you know, how did they date them? Do you know, like, um, was it the Smithsonian or is it something like that?
1: No, I believe that was uh, Anthony Petoni and his, uh, that would have been Klaus, was Klaus involved in that? I believe Klaus, uh, uh, what's his last name? My my memory Donna. slips the older I get older. Klaus Donna is a an expert on out of time, items out of time especially. And he was involved in this in 1990 and uh, I believe the, was it the, the National History Museum of Natural History Museum of Vienna may have been involved also. Uh, it's a little sketchy to find the, the details online, but that's the best you can find: is that he was involved with uh, the gentleman who found the stone and found the ballberry unit and with the blue strata. So my understanding is that they dated the blue sto- the sky blue stones and the strata around it because, of course, you cannot uh, carbon date stone. It has to be the strata in which they find it.
0: Hmm. Well, yeah, that's interesting because when I was with, I think it was either the Resonance Science Foundation when I was in Egypt, I was watching some pr- presentations and also Michael, Michael Tellinger, and uh, they were showing these stones, and I think if you look it up, you can find it, that are sacred geometry, and they're apparently fifteen twenty thousand 20,000 years old as well. So it's these, it's actual stone, perfectly carved in sacred geometry, and you've got all of this, different type of sacred geometry in these stones Um, and it's really fascinating and really old and they're just like we don't know who built that you know but why they they're like we understand this in physics now these shapes right and what they were building in stone but i don't know how they knew it then and, and put it into actual stone for us to find Thousands of years later, so it's really fascinating if you look at, uh, yeah, the work of Michael Tellinger and the Resonance Science Foundation on what they found in, in ancient stone as well. So um, I'm curious. If-
1: Michael Tellinger was South Africa. He found all the circles, the stone circles. Um, yep. Powerful. Now he dated. He, if I'm not mistaken, was looking at dating things as far back as 100 plus thousand years old.
0: Yeah, and I've heard you know, and I've heard uh, the the elders say that too, of all the uh, different elders I've been speaking with, they say 20,000, but they're actually, you know, it's hundreds of thousands. And I think that they only use 20,000 for our mind to um, be okay with it. You know, it's like you know, 10,000, 20 is like, no, it's actually hundreds of thousands. Every elder that I've spent time with has said something along those lines. It's actually hundreds of thousands. So it's really fascinating stuff like the correlation. And I'm just curious, then you how do you link them to the Dogon? And can you explain to people a little bit of what you know about the Dogon tribe who they were what they're about um and and maybe the second question would be like how did what do you know about the tribe using these stones and uh, the last thing I'll say actually as I'm because I wrote it down was that what it reminds me of is the story of the fallen angels you know you have this yes. you have different stories in different cultures kind of saying the same thing, and I really find it fascinating when I do study with uh, Native Americans and indigenous uh leaders that are totally separate they don't know each other. their stories and their histories of like myth or something is like the same, just a little bit different, like a little bit you know different person or whatever it's like the same thing so it's it's very fascinating
1: well, I know that we there are new findings all the time which seem to date. Mankind earlier and earlier. So I'm certainly not uh, Capable of limiting how long we've been here and I can say that we've also what has been interesting be one way that you You know check our old methods is we've shown the stones to people who are sensitive and who Have the ability to see and read things and they have also dated some of them back into the 10,000 to 15,000 but others have dated civilizations they see working with the stones back a hundred thousand years, which is interesting. Again, I have, I'm just reporting what I've been told by those who are, it's very interesting to see people read the stones who are sensitive, very powerful. So uh, that was the first part, and the second part was, uh, I forgot already, was the second part you
0: asked? I think, I think it was about the Dogon. Like you just oh, take, the Dogon. for some people don't. So what you've you know just what the Dogon are in general and and how you link the stones to them?
1: Yeah, what I what I know about a Dogon, I'm not a, a full expert, but I do know that they were credited with having identified the Sirius B ghost star um, hundreds of years ago. It's my understanding that they do a celebration or along the cycle that that it's a it's a elliptical cycle, if you will. They they have drawings and they identified it long before science did and they are of the belief that their contention is that long ago the gods came from sirius and landed in with them and were the ones who imparted the knowledge of this sirius b of the star that's the third star off of them they say there's another a ghost star that has not yet been discovered, and the third planet off of that star is where they originate, and that that's where mankind uh, originated, that uh, uh, Ama was the god who created the Nomos, and that all mankind came out of the Nomos. So how did we connect to the Nomoli to the Dogon? I did uh, a show, and someone, they were asking me about the Dogon, and again, I, I believe the first it was published was in the 1930s in a, in a periodical uh, that they had identified that these elders and the uh, spiritually, the shamans, had told them about this star. The, um, what happened was that the, uh, we were, I was on a show and someone commented, the gentleman was asking about Dogon, he said, Hey, the, uh, the Dogon were visited by the Nomals. O M fish-like beings, who imparted the knowledge of the universal information they gave them. And I thought, well, that's interesting, but the anomaly are not really fish-like. But I looked it up, and the more accurate definition is amphibious. And normally are vis- or sometimes uh, infused with crocodiles and the powers of the crocodile are very important to them. So I began to realize that, well, if they are amphibious, then what about the nomos? Well, I looked at, and I found that the, the Dogon are from Mali. And that began to interest me because it would make sense that the, if you were talking about them, you would call them the nomos of Mali and that that then could obviously be shortened over time to Nomoli. We did some research and found in 1950, there was a publication that had mentioned that they had found Nomoli 600 miles into the Dogon territory. So that was very interesting. Now this brings up the subject matter as you brought up about the earlier civilizations because if there was, well, let's, tie this together. Now the Dogon, of course, are connected to the Egyptians genealogically. And the theory has always been because the concept, and one of these, one of the reasons why these thoughts of West African deities are, have been suppressed is that there's a general concept that outside of Egypt, there's no uh, consciousness or light that was there. It was a dark continent, and that's been, that myth has been perpetrated pretty powerfully for a long time. So there's this image that Egypt has always been somehow a different part of the world, not even necessarily part of Africa, and that the rest of Africa is, is not that. But in fact, there are those who believe that, and including professors and others I've spoken with, that the pyramids were not the first pyramids built in Africa and in, in Giza. They didn't just put them there that size. They didn't just develop that technology and that knowledge all of a sudden that it had been passed on to them. And the... There are those in West Africa who believe that, they, that Egypt was a uh, an outpost, if you will. It was they migrated from West Africa to Egypt and settled there, and that the civilizations which existed long ago in West Africa have long sunk into the jungles. Where it gets interesting is that the nomali, of course, nomos are the gods, and they are they were created by. Ama, A-M-M-A. If you look at the Egyptian gods, the king of gods is Amman, A-M-M-O-N. Both of them, the slang for both of them is Amen, which is interesting. So if you look up, now theoretically the Egyptians were first before the Dogon, but if you look it up, the Egyptians date to 3100 BC, approximately. The Dogon date to 3200 BC. It's very possible that they go the other way around. The, um, uh, yeah, so there's a, the potential that there's a, um, a seed there rather than, you know, a seed of, of, of civilization could have existed there long ago. And that's what these stones are bringing to light.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. Um, It's interesting because what I'm reminded of when I was uh, uh, doing a podcast with uh, a friend of mine who's an Egyptologist that I met when I went to Egypt um, with the Resident Science Foundation, and uh, he spent his whole life, you know, he's Egyptian, he's been studying Egypt, he's, um, you know, deep on just everything. And so when I was um, having a podcast with a Mayan elder, he said that in Egypt, they found Mayan artifacts, in Egypt, and then I've also heard this vice versa. At all these different spots, you've got these ancient, ancient cultures around the same time finding these artifacts that are, um, they're like advanced. You know what I mean? In some way, whether it's these stones that are, are shaped in sacred geometry that are eighteen thousand years old. You know that that are just saying, "Hey, like we know this exists." And the only way you'll recognize that is through a microscope where you are scientifically to know that we know this, you know, because we're not going to be able to give it to you in a hard drive or something. So we're going to leave it in something that you can find of the earth, you know, and we're going to link it up in different spots. So it's really, really fascinating stuff. Um, So, so what else then? Like, um, so what about these stones? Like, are there more stones that are accessible? Um, are they are they continuing to be uncovered? Uh, what's What's the it's process? Much, of Stones now. It's interesting, it's
1: interesting because even as as far back as um, 1917, in the, in the book by Walter Edwin, there's mention of the rumor that there were uh, frauds, forgeries, for, forgeries being made and uh, uh, replicas being made even out of the country and brought in of No Mali. So while you have something that's relatively unknown, at the same point in time, they are in the uh, New York, there's, there's a museum in New York Museum in Britain. There are in Minneapolis, I think they still have one on exhibit. So they've been exhibited around the world. They've been sold at Sotheby's for um, for high values over the years when they're available. As far as are they still available? There are people who would say that there haven't been any real nomali for a while because the market was flooded with uh, ones that weren't authentic. I I would say that the opposite is true also that there are real nomali out there that could be in the possession of your viewers who have no idea what they have because they have been brought out of the country. In fact, the first writing in 1854. It's mentioned later in the book that within several years he had collected 10 nomoli. So, since the 1850s, the first and well, the Portuguese sailors would have been traders, so they would have at least taken a couple and see if they could trade them. Um, so, they have been many taken out, but on the other hand, um, and I'm a collector, so I'm always a treasure hunter, so I don't want to say too much but on the other hand there are they are less and less accepted and the muslimization is increasing so there are some that are available because they are being rescued from destruction hidden and uh, and and kept so I'd say there are going to be some some more available but um, I don't know that there'll be many but I again think that there's probably quite the British royalty has collected them for years. I believe there are probably more people in Portugal have collected them. But I've already been contacted after just doing a couple of small podcasts and people, one gentleman in Poland just yesterday, sent me pictures of some stones. He wants to get my opinion on whether or not I think they are normally, and, uh, you know, what I might be able to tell him about them. So I think there could be, again, people listening right now, watching your show who have them, that they picked up somewhere because they're connected spiritually and uh, don't know what they are.
0: So in your research, did you find any um, like indigenous uh, people that could explain to you, you know, their use or, or why they were made or any type of history like that?
1: Yeah. So let me give you, let me just use, uh, let's see. What's it twin stone? Let me use uh, the twin stone as an example. This is a very powerful stone. I don't know if you can make that up if he turns it sideways. There's two nomoli. You'll see the nomoli always have the very squatty legs. The, the more authentic or full nomoli it is is squatty legs. So that's two nomoli of uh, feet to feet. You'll see the big eyes, protruding eyes of course, and, and they're in uh, what would be half of the sarcophagus maybe. Um, so, when we get the stones over the years, when they came out of the bush, they would have handwritten notes sometimes with them from the bush. And so that would be one source of information. A stone like this, we would get the information that this is called a twin stone. This would be something very attractive to your, um, your 11 11 uh, enthusiast and your twin enthusiast. This star or this stone would, by the natives, would be considered a stone that you would give to a mother who had twins, two children, in order to protect the mother and the children through their early, uh, early days. Now, it would be very powerful and used for that. But then if you, when I take that stone to Professor Pakua Fayanza, he tells me that, from a broader perspective, the African art world uh, from what he knows more, from he's much wiser in the cultural aspects, would, in, would tell you that this is when the spiritual and the physical beings in an individual merge to become the higher self. Now, the ancient alien the, theorists may say that since the Nomali were, ter, were said to have turned into stone along with their heavens where they resided, and rain down upon the earth. This could be an artist's depictation or the artistic depictation from a Nomali of two Nomali gods descending to earth and then would open up and this would be what the natives would see. So and the answer to your question is we might see two or we might get two or three different uh, sources of information. Sometimes we won't get uh, a lot like this one here, this stone here is a divining stone. And this was in, in diamond mining. At times what they will do is they will divert a small stream if they feel that it's potentially diamonds underneath there. Turn it up a little bit towards the head. So you see the shape of the the shape of the head. Interesting character. Powerful stones. This guy was, uh, when they diverted the stream, they dug into the base of sand and they found this stone. Thereafter, in that location, they found diamonds. In, in the Nomali belief, in the tribal belief, the diamonds are part of the heavens that rain down with the Nomali gods. They found diamonds in the location, so this stone became a divining stone, and they used it to divine for other diamond mines throughout the bush. It could be used to divine for your spirit or divine for uh, success
0: in love or anything else that you want to divine for business. Um, So how many of these stones have you collected over the years? I have a few dozen, less than 50, but uh, that's quite a few. Yeah. I haven't found
1: anyone else with more than a couple other than I understand the British royalty has a, pretty decent collection and the museums that have them usually have a couple also
0: yeah it's it well what it reminds me of a little bit too is like i think a few years ago um there was a big find in mexico of all these kind of like ancient alien stones and like alien heads and pipes and things like that and i guess the uh the mexican people were giving them to the government at first and say hey look we found this and then they were just taking them And then the people were like, what the heck? And so then they stopped giving them to the government. And so they started to get passed around to the people. Um, I can't verify if those stones are legit, but I have seen a whole bunch of them and and they're very, very fascinating. And again, the information that I got was uh, well over 10,000 years old, um, easily also looking – uh, very extraterrestrial esque, um, if you will. And so, I guess what, what I'd ask you, with all, with this researching in the stones, um, like what do you, what is your research concluded about what this means? Like, what do you believe if this is, like, from your research, if this, what do you believe about the stones, and then what does that mean?
1: Well, that I'm kind of, I'm kind of a simple, I'm a simple country boy, and I think that, uh, you know, I'm just. I'm just kind of following the trail. I didn't plan on investigating O'Malley, uh, but I'm I'm going to continue because it's very interesting. I would say that what's next is, of course, you know, we're going to sell some stones and use that to write a book, and then we're going to produce a documentary. We're going to uh, be getting them out in front of people. But I'm a simple country boy in this way. I, I think what's most important, what I've seen, is what happens when people get a stone in their hands when Uh, someone uses them in healings on a daily basis. So I think what really matters is how individual stones, whether they're these stones, whether they're other power stones, um, whether it's healing experience through any other method or the gathering of knowledge, whatever it is, it helps people out. That's the most important thing in the end. So while some may end up in museums, it's my opinion that these stones were designed and created to be used they were handed down by some means to a very troubled world in a difficult part of the world and they were they supplied some form of relief and they were used for as tools as blessings and so i think what's most important is that the blessing continues and and i think in my humble opinion that the nomali spirit is uh, if If it is indeed another powerful, positive spirit that God created, angels, fallen, but still with positive messages for the people of Earth, then they want to be activated. They want people to be blessed by them. They do not want to be dormant anymore. So I think that's the net net we're looking for and that I'm here for is I I have to assume that the stones chose me. As you said, there's people who've been studying Africa, Egypt, uh, art, all around the world. How does some guy who is really nothing special in this world in Conestoga, Pennsylvania, end up with all these stones? I have to anticipate that uh, they chose me, and if for any reason, It is just to to learn what I can from other people and pass that on, put it into book form, put it into documentary form, and then uh, do my part in passing the blessing on which myself and those around me have received.
0: Wow. That's really fascinating stuff. Um, I'm so curious. I would love to somehow, like, uh, I know that the Dogon does exist still. Like, they still do some of their traditional ceremonies. And um, the way that my mind works is like, all right, we got to find an indigenous person, show them these stones. Get the history, because the indigenous people that I know, they all have an oral history, and all of it's 20,000 years old, and uh, I don't think that they're lying to me. And all of them talk about the sky people, the star people. Um, You can look around the world, and you can look at Egypt, Easter Island, uh, friggin' Gobekli Tepe peru everywhere there's stuff that doesn't make any sense and it's way older than two thousand years it breaks that story the story that we have been told and i've always said it very gently but i was recently on uh the last stand with jay campbell and uh jeffrey doherty and uh they're like they're they're just like you know what i mean this is the truth like if you do a little research that story is not it doesn't hold up you got to right. look, and so what is it? It's just like another thing, these stones being unearthed, and um, if there is an activation potential, which um, before I was like, you know, in the crystals and EMF and all that stuff, and I still am, but with Michael Tellinger and things like that, he did a lot of research I, when he came on my podcast. It was very fascinating with a, um, a circle stone and yes. a little stick. And saying, like, somehow they knew that. What I think is it's, like, a piece. So what I've learned about, like, uh, crystals from my, my Native American friend at uh, David Lone Pass, who's a scientist, um, he's just like, look. He's like, yeah, crystals can do something, but not on their own. He's just like, you can't. They don't, they don't put it. He's like, this is just my opinion. He's like, I could be wrong. If you think crystals make you feel good, fine. But, like, I was taught that it needs to put out an electrical charge. He's like, now, if you add something to it, you can actually make it pulse. You can use the piezoelectric effect, which then opens up a whole world of science and technology and possibility. He's mm-hmm. like, but I kind of equate it to be like, um, you, you know, you find gasoline and then you like, you worship the gasoline. It's like, no, the gasoline goes in the car and then the car moves. And so I right. would be curious with, with what these stones, like the origins, and maybe there is a possibility to turn them on or even just um, – I do believe in like uh, like activation and just like information where you see something, you know, and, and it just shatters your worldview because we, as we grow up, create a worldview and sometimes we need to see it and even understand it and touch it and feel it. And then it's like, okay, it does it does other stuff in the mind as well. So I'd be curious to know, you know, what, what the potential is with these stones, um, their origin and like the indigenous perspective on this. So um, really amazing stuff. I appreciate you sharing all this. Well, that's interesting
1: that you mentioned that. Reminds me of Rebecca Kamen, Rebecca, Professor Rebecca Kamen, who acquired one of the stones from our collection last summer. Uh, Rebecca has a very fascinating woman. She's lived with indigenous tribes around the world for decades in China and other places. And, and she lectures around the world on... Art, Where Art Meets Science and the Impact of Indigenous Tribes Upon Where Art Meets Science. Uh, she, when she put the stone in her hand, you could tell it just lit her up. She just vibrated and she had to acquire it. She's also a professor working with others at a variety of universities around the United States on what's called nanoparticles. And these are these very small particles that they couldn't even identify because there was no filter small enough to catch them up until recently. Particularly, specifically, she's working on neutrinos, which are believed to come from the sun, and some believe bring enlightenment to, to people on the earth. And nobody's quite sure what they do. I guess they're working on determining if there's a way to use them medically to heal. And, of course, there will be other purposes they could be used for it. She felt that her stone had something to do with that work, and something to do with her receiving of the neutrinos and the message. So yes, they could be used for for uh, activation in that regard, as you're saying, from a scientific perspective. And then that reminds me also of Jeff the Shaman. Give me the uh, the stone right there. All right. Uh, Put one in the hands of Jeff the Shaman in, in Bradenton, Florida, the village. He's called Jeff the Village Mystic, is what he goes by in Bradenton, Florida, if you hold that up there. And um, a really neat guy, interesting character with some very powerful stones. There are three of these. I've got one, he's got another, and I'll tell you where the third one is in a minute. And when he took the stone, he put it on his altar with his crystal skull and his other extremely high-value stones. But he said that thereafter, I talked to him, and I told him that it wanted to be used in the healings. And so he began, and he used it in healing after healing for months. In fact, then, he had a client who he called a highly evolved woman who decided that she wanted to acquire the third piece in the set. And I have agreed to hold on to the first piece for purposes of triangulating between the three of us but this is again a very powerful piece and and that's the, the the interesting thing now Jeff said he believed at one time that there were beings helping him do those healings that were uh, manifesting because of and through the stone so this is uh, I think that's what really matters when it comes down to it it's all the other things are great to discuss and to know and to explore but What does it do for, for people that are suffering is what matters.
0: Yeah. Super, super interesting. The other thing that I kind of makes me think about is, uh, you know, the native Americans and like what I've learned from uh, spending time with them. And, um, doing different things some of them are weird <laughs> but a lot of it is just getting out into nature really it's like it seems weird but it's not it's just like get the hell outside so um but in that view it's like when you talk to spirit and you understand spirit uh, everything is alive so even if i'm you know I, one of the assignments that i had is i'm um, training you know shokai this ancient martial art and uh i got to go get a staff i can't go buy a staff i actually got to go in the forest and get one and um give like a thank you in my own way to the tree that i cut down because everything yeah. is living so if you create that and that stone is living in some capacity um it just it just sparks curiosity about what's possible um and then i really like to yeah look at like bridging the the gap of like science and understanding i'm saying okay look like what what do we know from the indigenous what do we know in the scientific world of neutrinos what can we prove and what what are the uh, you know what are the effects that are having it's very uh, interesting stuff but even the grounded part of just having more of these type of artifacts come up uh, come in the mainstream that say, "Hey look, these are dated eighteen thousand years old. who knows about them what is what is that history? What happened then because yeah in in looking up the uh, the Dogon and the, those tribes, they talk about like you know, you were pretty versed in that, um, and that was a little bit more than I knew, but it was like kind of the fish-like people, and, you know, yes. one of the stories I heard was they came down on a ship and then uh, made this little pond, and they jumped out of the ship, and they started to talk to the people, and they're like, oh, my God, um, and then they got back in the ship and peaced out, but it's interesting mm-hmm. because it's in their, it's in their, it's in their art, you know what I mean? And it's in their history and they keep that story going down. And for the people that I've spoken to that hold those lineages, it's not anything special to them. It's just what it is. It's just what they were taught. Just like if you were taught anything like, you know, a small, a small town town, uh usa guy that liked football or whatever you know what i mean and these this is the way life is like that's what it is for them it's just like that's just the way life is man like these things came down and jumped out the spaceship and here's the proof you know how this but we can date that eighteen thousand years old so they have um actual artifacts that are corroborating their stories um and i'm I'm excited to have more of that information out there to discover what the actual truth is about ancient civilizations, histories, and things like that. And I think stones like this are an important part for us to begin looking at and exploring and trying to uncover, you know, how far back they go, what's the truth, and who are the wisdom keepers that will have more information on something like that.
1: Well, this is something that uh, you remind me of, is Angelo Petroni again when he was out in the in the bush he was talking to the shamans and, and i don't think i said this before but he said to them well if it says that the nomali rained down and they came down and their entire sky turned to stone so if the sky turned to stone it must have rained down also and the shamans said yes of course and he said and we know where it is and that's when he took them to the blue sky stone and they said this is where the sky down When he dug down under the strata, this is what's interesting with the connection to the Egyptians. He purportedly found a large structure of the blue sky stones formed into the shape of a pyramid that they dated to 15,000 BC, which is, of course, considerably older than the Egyptian pyramids. So that was of interest. uh, As you said, and the native said, well, of course, we know where the sky fell. It fell over here. (laughs) And, And there was another statement where uh one of the natives was talking to a, a scientist and a scientist well who carved these and the native was just just looking at him like well you just are spiritually completely ignorant you know <laughs> i told you god gave them to us no person nobody around here knows how to carve these he said you know what part of that don't you understand and uh, so yeah to them it's just this is the way it is these guys came long ago they imparted this knowledge, they tried to help them out. They taught them values of how to treat each other. Some of the nomali aren't aren't of uh looking at all. There are some which are as I mentioned one uh, oh wait, some I should mention here uh, that are infused as you see this one here. this one is infused with a crocodile. We talked about that one. Some are a combination of human uh, hybrid and nomali so the theory is that they were imparting upon the humans their their the assets that they carried with them from you know, the other world the location they came from but what we found and what i have some of which are very unusual is some of the ones which are consistent with stones from other parts of the world set that one that there, because they have the elongated heads that we would call these more along the lines of the ancient alien. They're not consistent necessarily with normally gods as much as they are with elongated heads. This one almost has a helmet on, if you can see. Hold them up close and show them back a little further. And uh, let's see something
0: like here. well the elongated head is an interesting one because when i went down to guatemala uh for the mayan heart festival i did a tour uh, it's the atil it's the atm tour if you look that up in belize so it's, it's a strange name but you go into this cave and you see a uh a a skull that looks like uh, your typical gray alien. And, um, I did speak with Carlos Barrios cause it's like, that looks like an ET to me, bro. He's like, he's like, yes, I know. But we did have the ability to do, um, skull manipulation. So, you know, it could, could be human. I, I don't know, but it was very, very weird looking. Um, and there are elongated skulls and there have been, um, Uh, for Hugh Newman was on my podcast and he he did a lot of research on giants and these these elongated skulls. And those ones for sure are definitely not, um, modified. They're massive. And, um, one of the things that he told me, I was like, well, how do you know today that like, this is for real? He's like, well, I, I forget what the group was. Um, which I sh- friggin' should know if I'm talking about it, but um, it's like a group of explorers in like the 40s, 30s, 1800s, things like that. They wrote it down. They had to write it down and you can actually go find the logs and the photos and there's sketches and logs with people's signatures saying, look, this thing, we measured it out 12 feet, the skull like this. We don't know what it is. And so that he's like, that's, he's like, I had to go dig those things out to figure out if it was legit. And he's like, it's written and signed in these, um, it's like some explorers club. So.
1: amazing. Here's another example
0: of an elongated head. This would be a chief stone.
1: So the chiefs of course, the stones are called nomali. They're called pondo. They're also called mahenyare, which means chief's spirit, Mahanyare, and um, so that the chiefs would theoretically be infused with the the values that you would want them to have with the nomali aspired, espoused, such as wisdom, justice, bravery, uh, fairness, a uh, big heart and the ability to be prosperous so the connection to the gods was perceived of course as the ability to prosper uh, for the entire tribe and nation chiefdom
0: amazing amazing well ben thanks so much for coming on the show i really appreciate this, this is really interesting stuff um is there anything else that, that you want to share that we didn't cover that you want to talk about before we uh close it up
1: well I, uh, Suggest everyone can look at ancientalienstones.com and watch the video of the professor and uh, Doris the talking about the stones. It's a great little 15-minute video if you want to look at the stones on your own and And there are quite a few stones exhibited there. I'd also encourage anyone if you and I should answer too under your dogon thing about my contemporaneous dogon Uh, If there are others who would want to be involved in the process of getting the word out and being part of this uh adventure they certainly should are welcome and um uh, we encourage everyone out there to just let other people know you know pass this this uh podcast on this is you guarantee that if you send it to anybody you know they're going to see something that they haven't seen before even if it's just uh, well i don't think they'll see much or any of it they won't know of it and so and how cool is it to have something different there's it's great to have the Stonehenge's and all those and have another person's opinion on them. But how often do you find something absolutely different, a, a treasure, a find? And I want to also say that it means that, that Matthew, that there are probably likely other great finds out there for anybody. I mean, not necessarily has to be the adventurers trips into the pyramids. There are adventures out there. There are finds. There are treasures out there, the spiritual uh, healing power tools. I believe that God has put them out there in many forms, any form he wants. He doesn't check with me first. So, yeah, the, uh, I mean, they're there. And, and I'm just grateful to be part of the process. It's a, a gift and a responsibility when you find something exciting and new and you want to share it with other people. And then you recognize how few people know about it. It's been a challenge also. So thank you for your assistance in that mission.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you thank so much. Thank son,
1: Quinn, for his help. Without him, I wouldn't Thanks, know Quinn.
0: Nothing. It was great modeling. He it was a perfect rotation, nice speed. It <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, really, it's really ac- incredible stuff, like all the best in the documentary and uh, in the book. And, you know, as I kind of move through, I'm sure like some people that I have in the podcast world, like this is what it's for. It's for exploring and trying to figure out real history what is going on and and how like what's what's the truth and so you know it's stuff like this is really just eye-opening where do these come from what's the history and there's still little there's little known about the dogon as well and even the native americans like uh with uh david lone Bear, who i've been kind of studying with the last two years he's like i've only been here for five years sharing this knowledge we never told you when I was down with the Mayan Elder, he's like, You people don't know this. He's like, You came and conquered us. You never asked us a question. You tried to wipe <laughs> us tried to wipe us out. You know what I mean? He's like, You didn't you didn't ask us for any information. He's just like, only some of us are trying to tell you and it's actually it pisses some of the indigenous people off because they don't they're like, Screw them. You know what I mean? Don't tell them this stuff. Like they came here and did this. And right, they right. They don't deserve this knowledge. So you have like a little bit of a war there and there, you know, Clifford kind of talked about that, do, sharing some of the stuff with the Hopi, you know, being upset with them, sharing some of their sacred knowledge. Uh, so it's a very fascinating thing. And um, I'm hopeful that more indigenous cultures and in some of the stuff like the Dogon and, and things like that, we're going to get those real stories coming out from these real leaders and this stuff like that. Stuff like this that makes you think, want to go down that rabbit hole.
1: Yeah, I have been uh, contacted by one Dogon contemporarily who lives in Africa, who does use the stones. Told me some information with some numbers. I wasn't quite fully understanding it, quite frankly. But the key was that they mentioned that these were gifted. Two individuals, they were gifts of the spirit and they came with them with blessings and that they would be utilized throughout the lifetime by often by the same person who would have been given the gift. And that they are used by the Dogon, but that they are, according to the elders, I was told that they are they are they have to open the doors for anyone who approaches and asks to be in the circle mm. with positive intentions. So they welcome any and all to find these stones and to utilize them
0: that's amazing holy crap well thank you so much for coming on the show and you're where i'm a so stoked for the documentary um i'll definitely throw things at the, you know if people come through and have some information i'll let you know and if you make any breakthroughs keep keep me in the loop more will be revealed cool all right well have Please. an amazing day thank you you're very welcome Thanks. thanks everybody for watching base. All right, guys, that wraps up that episode with Nomalee Ben. If you liked it, take a screenshot on uh, at, at any part, share it on Instagram, share it on Facebook, uh, talk about it with your friends. It really helps getting the word out. If you want to support on Patreon, that helps immensely too. And leaving reviews in iTunes because that inspires people to listen to the show and I can keep making these incredible episodes. Uh, my mind hurt after that. Um, I did check a, check in with David Lonebear and Clifford Mahoudi on this. Um, I do have some information on them and uh, it's interesting. Every time I talk to a Native American, their spin on it is always very different. Um, But, you know, very fascinating and interesting stuff. You look at, you know, these ancient sites, ancient civilizations. There's something going on there. So it's a really fascinating uh, discovery, you know, and... uh just a fascinating, fascinating world we live in. So I appreciate your attention. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you're doing amazing. Um, If you want to uh, go to MattBelair.com, sign up for the email list. There's a free lucid dreaming uh, ebook and guided meditation over there as well. If you go forward slash lucid dreaming, if you're interested in some coaching and you really want to level up, I'm happy to share with you what I've learned over, you know, a long time of studying and basically what the process is, is getting very clear on what an ideal, meaningful life looks for you. you. Even if you have no idea what that would be, but we can help uncover that, create a plan, overcome limiting beliefs, install the beliefs and uh, basically programming necessary and do it in a way that is fun and not so freaking serious. Um, So it's a lot of stuff. And if you're really serious about leveling up, hit me up at MattBelair.com forward slash coaching and I'd be stoked to work with you. So let me know. Um, I hope that. You guys are having an amazing day. My body is toast from Snowboarding Pow, and I'm I'm so stoked on that. And I knew I had to get this episode out today for you guys. So much love and gratitude, and uh, I will see you in the next episode.